Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! This is the Forbes interview on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do deep dive interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. These are the faces you see on the cover of Forbes. And if they aren't in the cover, they easily could be. Hey, everybody. It's Laurel, executive producer of Forbes Podcasts. Steve is still away on assignment. So for this week's special episode, we feature Steve's interview with Ashton Kutcher, actor, and Guy Siri, musician manager, who run their A-grade investments together. Here they all are at the 2016 Forbes 30 Under 30 Summit. So great to have you guys here. I want to get right into it. Um, both of you are at the top of your games in your entertainment fields, music, media, name it. Why investing? Why bother do this? Why tech? Well, I think we have different reasons of why we got involved in, in investing. Uh, I started with a record label many years ago and looking for talent, looking for young talent, and new ideas and uh, some of the same skill sets of identifying talent and, and then bringing them out to the marketplace is the same as it is with finding great founders and great ideas. And I, I look at it almost in the same way, that they have their music to share, their ideas, their voice. And so it's the same skill set that I've had since I was... 17 or 18 years old, just trying to find the next great artist, the next great founder. Um, and I've always been in love with that idea that you can help someone uh, from nowhere to somewhere great. And so it's the same attraction, and it's the same, it's the same, I'm doing the same thing basically for 25 years. Ashton, how about you? Yeah, I, when I was like 20, I started my own production company, and, uh, and then in, in the media industry, I started noticing like buffering speeds were getting faster and faster online and thought there'd be a migration of media uh, to, the, to that space. And I was actually just looking for technologies to disrupt my space. Uh, and then, not my space, the company, but my <laughs> domain. And, uh, and then uh, started stumbling into these interesting uh, things at, at a very prime time when it was like the smartphone was just sort of being introduced and and, uh, and, and, I, and I had just started investing, like, right before that sort of app ramp, that consumer app ramp took off. And I just started seeing all these interesting companies start to percolate that I, that I thought were going to disrupt other spaces the same way as I, would, I was looking for companies to, to disrupt my space. I hate that I keep saying my space in this. I haven't rehearsed this. Uh, and so, so uh, yeah, I, I just sort of got into the, the, in, in, into the investing environment, I, I think, at the right time. You guys have different you have unorthodox backgrounds in music and Hollywood and such. What skills does that bring to investing? You have a different toolkit. What do you, how does that help you being in the Hollywood world, in the tech world? I think, I think it, the, well, at a base layer, I was a biochemical engineering student in college, so I, I had a little bit of an understanding <laughs> about how technology and engineering uh, can change uh, 
the way you solve a problem. Um, and, and so I think that was like a, a, a base to start with. But I think like when it, when it comes to like dissecting and breaking down um, characters as an actor, you have to have empathy for characters and understanding of characters that are, that are not yourself. And so whenever you take on a role, whatever you're playing, you end up like doing these like really quick deep dives into these environments. Maybe you're playing a closet builder, and so then you end up in a workshop figuring out how to build closets and what that looks like and, and what your sort of day-to-day -day behavior would be relative to that particular profession. Or, or maybe you're a dancer and you have to go learn ballet in three months. Played, have you played a closet builder before? I played a closet builder. Okay. And I went to a closet warehouse in Brooklyn and spent a week there interning with this dude. It was really weird when I was showing up at people's houses like, yeah, I'm here to build your closet. <laughs> Can I get a selfie? Uh, it, uh, so, it, but, but that same sort of learning curve applies to investing, which is you have a very limited period of time to go really, really deep and then gain empathy for a consumer for whatever product it is that you're looking to invest in. And, and I think being able to sort of put yourself in the shoes of the consumer, but also uh, learn a trade really, really quickly, I, I think those two elements are really super useful in, in the investing domain. And Guy, you spend your days with rock stars. Are there any similarities between tech founders and rock stars? Well, that's what I was saying earlier, that the founders today are the rock stars. Um, you know, that when, and that's how I immediately identified with them, because they would come in with their um, their, their music. Um, but I, I was going to say, in our space, we're sometimes, in, in the music world especially, there's uh, um, a lot of the companies that um, are innovating. Music sometimes one of the first adapters to, to, to that space. So we're able to see things early on. And I, I think for, uh, and especially with MySpace, I hate to say that because, yeah. you know. Are you, are you calling it back right now? <laughs> 12, 12 million, 12 million uh, uh, musicians were using MySpace. But so many, uh, so much today, if you're an artist trying to reach your, you know, reach more people or, or, or share whatever it is you're working on, there's so many ways to do it and, and uh, to think ahead and innovate. There are these companies and we always want to be ahead of that. I think, I think the other thing that I would say collectively for us is, you know, every time Guy back in his early A&R days, was like spinning up a new brand, a new, a new band. He had to spin up a new brand. Mm -hmm. And every time uh, we go out and launch a new movie or a television show, whatever it is, we're spinning up new brands. And you get, and a lot of the similar marketing tactics apply when you're spinning up a new company, especially super early stage. And I think like the sweet spot that we found as investors is like that A, B round when you start to have some marketing dollars available and you're trying to like sort of guerrilla market, figure out, I mean, Guy, Guy was behind one of the earliest street teams ever in, in marketing. And, and so I think like our understanding of branding and marketing really applies to our thesis around investing, which is if we can't be helpful to a company, we don't look to invest. And I, and, and, and I think that, that sometimes you see something where you go, wow, there's, there's a consumer market fit here. And if you apply some gas through capital and, and smart strategic marketing and branding, you can really accelerate the growth of the company. And some ladders, like are you building almost a story behind the company, like if you're doing a story for film or TV? Are you building almost characters as when you're marketing these, these companies? Well, founders of the product. You know, I, there's a great book called Sapiens that I just read that was really, there's a really interesting thesis in it, which is like the fabric of humanity is a collective fiction that we all choose to believe. And whether that fiction is a consumer brand story or whether it's the Bible or whether it's a law document or a piece of money that we all go, this has value because we all agree to believe this piece of fiction. 
you know, building out a company brand story is a function of creating that connective fabric of humanity through a fictional tale that you're creating around the sort of mystique, the brand, the competency, and the capacity of whatever your product is. And so I think that all of those things sort of have a, a similar overlying fabric that, that we can all relate to. Is that building hype or is that just building a real, a real story? I think it's both. I mean, it, I, you know, we won't invest in something if, if we don't believe in the product. Like, the product is core. The best piece of marketing you have in any company is a great product. And so, you know, people are always looking for, like, these crazy growth tactics to early stage. Like, oh, we got to growth hack our company. The best growth hacking is building a great product. There's a guy, Andrew Chen, that does this awesome, like, growth hacking uh, blog that he's always talking about. And, and, like, the first fundamental is, like, you have to have something that people love and are willing to talk about and share. But marketing is actually taking the things that people love and want to share and putting gas in that village and then lighting the match. And, and that's, that's, that's sort of the, that's the secret fabric. And we're taking a quick break to say this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. You know, starting a company from scratch, you're helping build these companies. It takes a lot of time and effort. You guys both have full-time jobs in a whole other industry. How do you have time to do your investing, your VPC work, and also keep your day jobs? Guy doesn't sleep. <laughs> that helps. Um, you know, I think they go hand in hand today. I think uh, a lot of companies today, if you want to move things forward, you've got to get savvy on innovation and disruption. And um, I think my position at this stage with the artists that I personally work with and with the artists that I support and the managers I support um, is to educate them on new ideas and new ways to, to uh, outreach and new ways to reach a potential. So I think at, at this stage, because of what we've done and we've put so much time into this, people are looking for us to put time in this area in order to help the traditional business. Uh, traditional business is pretty much gone. Um, need to innovate. What's your trick? You're doing movies and shows and... You're looking at, looking I, at prospectuses I, I, in the no, I'm looking for an answer from somebody out here. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know that there's uh, Adam Grant wrote this book called Originals, and he talks about like all these uh, Nobel laureates, and that they all had some uh, passion relative to uh, uh, culture and the arts, and it was like the sort of one common thread that all these people had, whether it was like interest in dance or music, classical music, whatever it is. And, and I think that having a creative outlet for me in my core job, I think is, is fundamentally helpful in, uh, in venture, uh, it, it, because you have to be able to dream a little bit to be a venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to be able to think and believe something that doesn't exist can exist, and that we're all going to be better for it. And I think that, that, I think that, that having a foot in the arts is really helpful in, in maintaining the equilibrium for that. You mentioned common thread. Are there certain characteristics that you look for in a founder or in a company before you invest? Are there some certain positive flags or even warning flags that you look for to, before you put money in? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we could sort of rattle off a bunch. I think yeah. that, What's the recipe? Hmm. It's a combination of lots of things. I mean, set one is domain expertise. Like, 
I shouldn't be probing you on questions about your company that you haven't at least explored mentally at some point. Like, mm -hmm. you have to have, like, an absolute domain expertise. You need to understand the, the data. You need to understand the competitive landscape. And so many times you'll sit down with a founder and they just don't, they're like, we don't have any competitors or our competitors are, you know, non-existent. You know, it's like, and you're like, well, hold on, wait a second. If you don't have a competitor today, you have one that's coming right behind you because mm -hmm. clearly you've identified some green grass that as soon as your company starts to be successful, you're going to have. So you already have competitors whether you know it or not. Mm -hmm. And so having like absolute domain expertise, I think is just core foundation, number one. Number two, I think they have to be able to sell their product uh, and, and they have to have like a charisma that, that inspires you to, to say, I would work for that person. And one of the things we always do to each other when we're looking at a company is we'll meet with the founder and you know, we look at each other and literally go, would you work for him? Would you work for her? Mm -hmm. Is that the person that you want telling you what to do every day? Is that the, person, is that, is that the team you want to join? Because as, as founders that, or as investors that pride ourselves on being helpful to the company, we work for our companies. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a core question. And the third thing is just grit. Um, there's a great book called The Willpower Instinct that I would suggest anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about grit reads. That it's, it's that fundamental capacity to overcome obstacles no matter what they are. And, 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 and that is time-tested. But a lot of times you can tease that out of, an, of, of early meetings with founders and, and just get an understanding of how they're going to deal with adversity. And sometimes you can create adversity in a, in, a, in a pitch meeting and watch how they overcome that adversity. So you'll like do little tests in meetings and see, uh, kind of put them on the spot? Yeah, it, you know, it's just sort of subtle, but you can create adversity for them inside of a meeting and, and have a recognition of how they're going to navigate it. And I think there are certain subtleties that you can't really, you, you can't point to. They're just subtleties. Um, and when I started signing bands, when I was 17, 18, 19, for many years, you, you didn't have intel. You couldn't look up comps, and you, you, just, you just have to know. Mm -hmm. And so you build a little bit of that, um, that feeling. It's, you can't put it into words. It's a feeling. And that's along all the other stuff that we have. So it's a kind of a gut. The, gut is a very important piece of the puzzle. I think all, all the stuff that we do, the intel, the analysis, is, 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 is key. But for me, gut plays another, is a, a very big role, and that's how I signed. Most of my, you know, all my successes were basically, back then, in, in music, were all gut. Just something they told you about the person. I just met, you know, heard one this song. Is, this, is, stars, this is a big part of our collaboration. <laughs> guy's, guy's a gut junkie. And I'm always trying to deconstruct gut and understand what the data is that's yeah. actually creating gut. Because there's usually data nodes that are, like, supplying gut. And I'm just constantly trying to, like, just tease out, like, well, wait a second, what, where, 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 hold on, who did you talk to? Who did this? What did it's, and is his gut on most of the time? The, the data back up the instinct a lot? Uh, his track record speaks for it. His gut's really good. And, <laughs> and you mentioned before that you, you, know, you guys work for your, your companies, your founders. You know, it's, there's so much money sloshing around out there that a good company, a good idea, has no problem getting money. Why does um, a portfolio company take your money? I think we, we offer something that no one else can offer. We're unique. And in our community, just to, just to give you some background, um, a lot of people in our community don't, at least, at least when we started, weren't spending money. They're not used to, to investing their own money. They're mm -hmm. used to getting an incoming call, say, hey, we'd love for you to be involved in this company. 
And then the manager or the agent would say, okay, my client needs stock. And they try, they wouldn't even know how to make those deals because they wouldn't understand the company. So it was really, it was, no one was even doing it when we were doing it. We were actually calling the companies ourselves. They weren't calling us. So we were going, we've identified you. We really like you. Mm-hmm. We think we can bring something to the table. It's different. So we were unique. I think today there's a few more people in our, in our world who are, who are doing that, uh, maybe not to the, to the extent that we are as a, as a business. But we're able to get people a point of view that they normally wouldn't get with all the other investors. They have a, a sense of connectivity that they wouldn't have with all these other investors. And uh, I, think, I think that our, that over the last few years, people have been able to see that, you know, not just, not just hear about it, but actually see it in, in play. And just a quick break to say business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Is it marketing? Is it press? Is it branding? Also, yeah, we do. Sauce? We have we have a social media marketing team uh, that's in house with us. We have we have uh, branding marketing support that we supply to companies. I think we also have just a, a totally different network that we're not afraid to leverage on behalf of the companies that we work with, and it's a global network. I mean, one of the great things that happens uh, in our diverse sort of multifaceted careers is guy ends up traveling around the world with bands meeting with people all across, you know, all different sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, then we also, our LPs are really important, uh, Liberty Capital and, and Live Nation. Um, you know, they, they have their own sort of weaponry of, of support that they can supply to companies. But it, it, a lot of it just comes down to caring enough to show up. You know, I, I ask founders a lot, um, you know, they'll start a company, sell that company, and then come back for, with their next company for an investment. I'm like, what's the differentiator? What, what, why are you coming back to us? Like, what are we doing that other people? And, you know, one of the small fundamental things is like, <laughs> I had a founder go, you guys came to our office. <laughs> we had 20 investors, and three of them came to our office and actually cared enough to get to know our team, His to visit us. Yeah, because companies are built on people, right? And people need support, especially when all you're doing all day long is working on your company. And so sometimes, like, foundational support is, hey, do you know a dentist? Sometimes foundational support is, is actually being there when somebody's going through that tough decision of, is it time to sell? Is it time to go out and do another round? If we go out and do another round, how do we go about it? When's the right time? Who are the people we should be talking to? Like, just little, simple, fundamental support. And then... Secondly, just using the products. You know, the, the dirty secret is that every founder knows exactly who's using most of their products, and they know which, which one of their investors are using their products. And it's shocking that so many investors don't download the app. Like, download the app and use it and learn what, where, where the most optimized funnels are for the product. Learn where the most optimized audience acquisition funnels are. Learn, like, look at the data. Explore it. When founders send out a monthly report email that we get on every single one of the companies that we work with, 
what at the bottom there's three requests that I say at the bottom of every email whether we can fulfill it or not put three requests in for all of your investors and leverage your investor network to actually build your company and just responding to those things even if you can't and saying I can't help you here I can't help you here but I might be able to do something here let me try that small touch is so much more than what most people do it's shocking you mentioned investors like you guys started out with your own money but now you have LPs you're a, a VC fund has that changed, by having other people's money now to invest, has that changed anything you do? I don't think it changes the way that we look at companies, um, only because we, I think we're both like egomaniacs and want to win. So <laughs> just like, just a pure, like, just I want to win and want to, you know, be in great companies and help them build great things. Like that pure desire, I think, is like, I don't think it changes anything from that perspective. You know, there's like a there's reporting. Uh, th there's different internal infrastructure stuff that we've that we've had to be a little bit more responsible about. But would you be with just your own money? Would you be a little riskier, so to speak? But now, like, would you do deals that you wouldn't now that you have kind of other people's investment that you're in charge of? Does that change your outlook at all? We only have one, we have two funds. We have one LP in both. Okay. And they're very supportive. Uh, and we don't feel a sense. Everything, we always make a decision. We go, will we, would we put our own money into it if we're doing our own? The answer is, if it's not yes, we don't do it. Yeah, the bottom line is, you know, we, we have an out with our fund, which is, you know, if, if the fund collectively passes and one of us wants to make the investment. So, you know, when it's a stand on the table, one of, one of our partners is standing on the table going, if we don't do this, I'm doing this personally. Uh -huh. That's like a pretty good it's signal. Good sign, and, yeah. and I think, and, I, and you want every investment to be there, <laughs> yeah. right? It, it, so... I think I think internal processes. Though, it, 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 I think it creates a really nice checks and balance because we know it at, at some. You know, if it's your own, you're like, ah, dang it. But if it's theirs, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, a little, it's just internal pressure. We feel a sense of responsibility yeah. to anyone, but you know, we don't have uh, countless LPs to answer to. I want to take a quick poll. How many people out here are either founders or work for startups in the tech world right now? All right, a lot of hands. Do you have any advice for this great audience out here? Founders that work for startups. Whoa. The engaged audience. Props. Um, well, not advice, but just maybe I, just him. I, 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 would say, I would say this. If you're in an early stage startups, metrics count. They just count so much more than you know, and if they if if they don't count for you now, they will count eventually. And if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So measure everything that you can possibly measure. Um, and then the second piece of advice is there's legitimately no substitution for hard work. Um, to, you know, the one common thread is you know bootstrap or not bootstraps. The people who make it through the other side are the people who just grind, 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 but they don't grind selfishly, they grind generously, and they work on behalf of others. Um, because I, I'll say from, from all the startup work that I've done, the most connections I've made in any startup that I've worked on is a nonprofit that I work on. Because it's shocking 
the number of people that will show up relative to a nonprofit, and I would say work in parallel with a nonprofit, whether it's internally within your company, you figure out a way to make a generous company, or whether it's a nonprofit individually where you're applying your talents to that because the number of adjacent connections that you make through nonprofit work are extraordinary. Like people that you wouldn't get in a room with otherwise end up in a room with you, and then you can apply those relationships back to whatever your company is in a super powerful way. And, and when people see you jet being generous, it makes them want to be generous on your behalf. So find a way to be generous with your work and, and measure everything. I would say uh, originality. Uh, one of the things that we see when we travel and go to all of, all of these different conferences is, hey, I'm the Uber of, and I'm the Airbnb of, and I'm the this of, and it's, it's, it's there's, those, I haven't seen those work. You know, but, be the you of you. Be you know. Be yourself. So really make sure that you're part of something original. And and the other thing is is who is speaking on your behalf. So whatever company you work for or with, who's the evangelist? Who's the person at the forefront explaining what you're doing? And I used to when when bands used to come to me and they oh sign me and 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 I'd go to their show. And I said you couldn't convince 20 of your friends and family to show up. You can't convince your 20 people in your family to show up to your own show. <laughs> then you're not a good salesperson. They don't like your music. They're not. They're not. You know. So I think that make sure that whoever's at the forefront of your companies is is really able to message well and convince people that this is something great. You mentioned Uber and Airbnb. Those are two of your companies. When you invested in those, when you first saw those companies, and they're obviously you know just. Deca, whatever, unicorns. Yeah. Did you knew you had something special, or was it kind of just like, oh, we'll give it a shot? Did they stand out from the other things, or they stood up? Yeah. I, on, Ashton showed me Airbnb in his office. I rem, it's, like, it's like the first time I heard Nirvana or something. I walked in, and I said, okay. I did exactly what you're not supposed to do as an investor. I called my business manager at the time. We didn't have our fund totally figured out. And, and uh, I said... Uh, I'll take everything I have and put it on this company. Did, they didn't. They were just starting. They maybe had a million. I said, "That's it. I'm going deep on this one." And luckily, they let us in. They didn't let me take all the money I had in the bank, unfortunately, and, and, and put into it. But they they gave us enough, and, and that's how we started. But what was it? You but said, to your point, you, you, we had to fight to get into both of those companies. Yeah. Like we're we're selling ourselves to the founders to get into those companies. Um, that there's a, this kid, Corey Levy, uh, uh, I think he's like just turned 25. He started a company when he was like 19, and we we're meeting with him. And I read this thing that he posted the other day. He's like, if you want to get an investment from somebody, ask for advice. And if you want to get advice, ask for an investment. And, and it's really, it's, it's somewhat true. Like, we, th most of the great companies that, that we've gotten into, you've got to fight to get in. And those two companies, we got into them a little bit later. They weren't like seed stage. And I saw Uber at seed stage and talked with Travis about it. And, and he was explaining the company to me. And I, was, I just didn't understand why people were going to pay a premium to ride in black cars. Like it just mm -hmm. didn't like it, it didn't click. And then once the data was there, it was clear that there was like this consumer market fit. It was like it was just right on the wall. <laughs> Well, you mentioned, like, so you see companies all the time. What was it about Airbnb and Uber that you wanted to mortgage the house and dump it all on this startup? What I, mean, was I think they spoke to us. I mean, there are things that we, we would really use or things that we, uh, you know, sometimes you hear ideas and you go, that's a really good idea, but I'm not sure I would use it. Uber was, like, genius. What a perfect, 
way to get around. But Airbnb, you're not crashing yeah. on people's couches, I don't think, anymore. I do. And I did. <laughs> did for a year. Like, I actually right. did. I lived on the product for a year uh, when we first invested. You did for on Airbnb? Yeah, man. Eat the dog food. You, like, if you're going to invest in a company, figure out what, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And then here I am, however many years later, having, uh, yesterday I had a product meeting with the team because I know the product intimately. The, you, these things are like, it's, it, here, this, is the, this is the quote I don't want going out to the press. It, don't worry, there's no, there's no smartphones here. It's like, it's like, if I learned anything from Donald Trump, <laughs> I knew I heard. Do you say it, do you don't say it? Do you say it, do you don't say it? Say it. If I learned anything from Donald Trump, it's if you can excite a, a consumer base that hasn't previously been engaged in something with a new idea, there's potential. Potential. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. And, and the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, you, right now with the landscape of consumer tech, you have to excite a consumer base that hasn't previously been engaged to break through in some way, shape, or form because it's been, a lot of these things have been played out. And so, you know, with those companies at that period of time, there was a consumer base that was ripe for disruption and they were willing to do things a little bit differently than how things have been being done historically. And both of those companies challenged a natural intuition that people had about a marketplace. And, and by doing it, they exposed this gaping hole or this gaping green grass that they could, that they could then build their companies into that nobody had, that, that when they entered, they didn't have any competition in. Well, we have a minute 30 left. I'm talking about exciting ideas. Give me one, what's, what's, what trends or what companies are exciting you guys right now? Where are you seeing that green grass? Um, I, I think, I think this, um, well, first of all, I think this, this voice-enabled technology platform, whether it's going to be Echo or it's going to be Google's version of this or it's eventually going to be Apple's version of this, I think this thing is just like, this is like a reset on the OS. Mm -hmm. And so having a new OS that people are building technology into is really exciting. I don't think we've yet to see the companies that can be enabled off of that, um, but it's it's always out, always on, always available. And I think there's a consumer behavior, at least that I'm starting to find for myself, mm -hmm. where I have a relationship with this thing that, that I, I think there's tons and tons of opportunities. Are you a big Echo guy? What's that? You have a big, are you a big Echo guy? Yeah, I have one in like almost every room in my house. <laughs> and it's, it's like, to, it's turning on my TV and my lights and my, it's like legitimately, I'm using it for virtually everything. It's still, there's still bugs in it, mm -hmm. but these kind of early toys that turn into like mature utilities mm -hmm. are are pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, I love that space. I right go to now. his house and I order up a lot of things. Just <laughs> That's right. When he goes to the bathroom, I'm like, Alexa, please get me a <laughs> motorcycle. And they just shows up. Yeah, just change the address. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> Can't even ride that bike. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is great. Um, thank you so much, guys. Thank you, guys. Hey everybody, so Podcast One has a new app, and there's no other app like this. There you can find out everything about your favorite shows, find articles, social media episodes, you can make playlists. Download the all-new Podcast One app now in the App Store or on Google Play. 
Have you heard Spike's Car Radio? It's comedian, actor, writer Spike Ferriston sitting on the porch in Malibu talking with some cool people about cool cars and life in general. My first guest is Jerry Seinfeld. He's right here. He was all right. Don't try to hug him. Chris Hardwick. I could feel everything on the road. I mean, it was right. basically like, it was like unprotected sex for driving. <laughs> Jeremy Piven. I hold you know what? I think you and Jerry are spiritually tied to cars, <laughs> and I respect it and I love it, but I don't quite get it yet, but I want to get it. Download new episodes of Spike's Car Radio every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or save time and subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com. Hey, have you heard? Podcast One has a whole bunch of awesome new shows filled with big names that are waiting for you on our brand new amazing app. This one's a game changer. There's Norman Lear talking to Amy Poehler, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Charles Barkley. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with Brian Cranston, Josh Gad, and soon Neil Patrick Harris. Nice. OC Real Housewife, Heather Dubrow's World, Lady Gang's Three Mimosa Podcast with Leah Michelle, Nelly Furtado, L. King, and more. Plus every episode of The Adam Carolla Show, Dan Patrick, and Rich Eisen. And if you like what happens in the ring, we've got Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Chael Sonnen, and a whole bunch more. So download our one-of-a-kind new app and see for yourself. Go to the App Store, Google Play, or download it now at podcastone.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.